0: The reason that we work so hard to destigmatize what it means to be abnormal and what mental health versus illness is is because so many people are still afraid to actually seek treatment.
1: Hey everyone, thank you again for joining me on the Emotional Optimism Podcast. I am so incredibly excited to share this convo I have with. Dr. Jen Wilkin, who was a leading neuropsychologist, author, and coach. I was finally able to ask a professional why they use the term abnormal psychology and what it really, really means. We then were able to talk about the stigmatization of mental health and mental illness and what we can do about it to bring more belonging, mattering, and acceptance into the world. Thank you again for your time, your energy, your attention. I appreciate each and every one of you. Dr. Jen, thank you so much for being with me today. Really great to finally meet you. Great to finally meet you. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, of course. So let's start with who you are, what you do, and then let's go back in time.
0: Who I am. Well, that's that's an intense question to start off with. <laughs> I guess, right, when I'm usually asked that question, I go through the whole spiel about my credentials. I'm a health and neuropsychologist. Really, I'm someone who is interested in humanity and how we're all connected. And One of the primary things that I feel like is incumbent upon me as a health clinician is to advocate for people. And what I mean by that is to advocate for people who have mental health challenges, advocate for the accessibility of treatment and also to help destigmatize what mental, you know, to destigmatize for people what it means to have mental health challenges. I think we're in a society that still stigmatizes and likes to label and likes to put down people. And that's not okay. And we're doing a great disservice to not only ourselves, but those who are really struggling.
1: It's not okay. I'm glad you just said that. It's so not okay. <laughs> that's a whole nother uh another ball of wax and maybe we'll get into but um but thank you for sharing. Um and how did you get into this? Like a the five-year-old Jen, what 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 did you want to be <laughs> when you grew up?
0: I love this question because I did not grow up wanting to be a psychologist. I don't even think I knew that that's something you could be, right? Um I think I wanted to be a doctor, but didn't really know that you could be a doctor of psychology or even have a PhD and be a doctor. I thought, okay, you're a doctor and then you help people, right? That's just the narrative that I learned. Um, And then I, you know, progressed and decided, okay, I want to be a writer Mm -hmm. (laughs) and Thankfully, I now know I can do both. Um, But psychology really came to me later in life. I kind of stumbled on it. Or either I stumbled on it, or there was this like unconscious knowing that I'd have a long standing relationship with it because I did everything in my power not to study psychology. (laughs) Uh, in high school, I remember they were offering a psychology class, right? This AP psychology class. And I took AP chem. I was the only one. I took AP chemistry and AP bio just so that I wouldn't have to take AP psych. And in retrospect, that seems so strange for someone who so loves what they do and just feels like it's a, a gift. And it's so what I was put here to do. But I think I just needed some time to get to it on my own. And then in college, I wasn't even going to take psychology classes. And I took it because um, some friends were taking psychology. And I said, okay, well, that that will be nice. We'll all be there together. And I took it and just sort of fell in love with it. And that was that was, I think the beginning for me, I fell in love with mostly chapter two, I remember, <laughs> which was the biological basis of behavior. And I then started to work in a lab and I did like actual bench work, which I would never do again. Um, but did re- you know, basic research with rats and all that. And then I decided to get my PhD, and the rest is history. But I really have to say that most of what I learned during my PhD, I learned after my PhD. <laughs> you mean in the field work? or In the field work and even just now here right. with you, um, online during this pandemic. I mean, there's no textbook for this. <laughs>
1: right. It is so, so true. I wanted to go back and uh, and share something that you Reminded me of when I was a freshman in college, and I've, I've spoken a lot about my college uh, experience, which I was in—I was in no place to go to college at eighteen. But <laughs> so, my freshman year, I took Psych 101 because I always knew I wanted to be a psychotherapist, and I was—I was going nowhere fast. I was not—not uh, not of sound mind, that is for mm-hmm. sure. And I remember being in my psychology class, hearing things that made me so anxious about my own emotional health because I knew I was not of sound mm-hmm. mind. I knew I wasn't well, and I bailed. I bailed and I went straight to English and then stayed in that school for two years and then, and then came back to psychology mm-hmm. through a, the humanistic transpersonal um, door, much, yeah. late, much, much later, but it scared me because mm. I saw myself and I didn't like what I saw in a textbook or in whatever we were talking about. So I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up. I hadn't thought about that in so I long. I have
0: to say that it's so much compassion because that must have been terrifying.
1: Oh, it was terrifying. And I was already, you know, 18, 19, hanging on by a thread That's what I felt like. So, when you're looking in the mirror and you're hanging, you feel like you're hanging on by a thread. You're like, I, I gotta leave this. No, I don't want to look in that mirror anymore.
0: (laughs) It was. I feel like you did what you had to need.
1: You did what you had to do to survive. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I I have a question. Do they still teach a course called? abnormal psych like is that still a word that is used and and why
0: i love these questions so much (laughs) you are a great question asker i must say they do and the reason i know is because i took it um and not only did i take it but i taught it and here's the thing when i taught it i put parentheses i'm not kidding you can check i was an Mm -hmm. adjunct at nyu And this was an undergrad class. And I put parentheses around the ab.
1: Mm, And
0: I was like, if I'm going to teach this, I'm going to do it my way. And so what I did was really use that class (laughs) as an opportunity to talk about the um, sort of why having that class was labeled abnormal, was, you know, Detrimental, and we used that class. Of course, there were a lot of things that I had to cover, but we did it in such a way where we were able to really dialogue about what does normal and abnormal actually, what do they actually mean?
1: What do they actually mean? I mean, I understand this is a whole curriculum. But that... <laughs> <laughs> well, to
0: me, I don't know. I mean, of course, we can take this in a statistic, right? In a statistic from a statistic. From a statistic <laughs> lens, <laughs> and basically normal is just a percentage under a bell curve, right? If you think about it, um, and what that would mean is that there, what's abnormal is anything outside a certain percentage, and that's both on the lower end and the upper end. So, you know, in theory, when people talk about brilliance or Mensa, that's abnormal if you want to talk from that level, right? Let's do it, yep. um, right? So I don't love this, you know, this metric that we've sort of come up with and the way we use it to hurt people. That being said, I guess it's important to understand that there's um, there are challenges that we do face. And I don't personally love the word disorder, because I don't know if it gets us anywhere. Insurance likes it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Insurance likes it so that we can be reimbursed. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, I don't know. I think it's important to just conceptualize abnormal, quote unquote, as something that deviates from what wellness is and what fun something that impairs your overall functioning and decreases your quality of life
1: and creates suffering for you that i'm nodding my head that what you just said is exactly what i think needs to be in the uh in the subheading of quote-unquote abnormal psych which is anything that decreases your 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 natural way, your your way of living for creating suffering. I think that's it. I mean, yes, human mm-hmm. beings. We you know we can go we can go Buddhist here and like suffering is a part of life and, right. and all of that right. stuff. But I so if if that is the case, what we just we're talking about, then anything that deviates from quote unquote this normality, which is fictitious or or not, is that where the word illness fits in so I know Mm. there's a mental illness or you know I think I and you probably use the word mental health and emotional health now but that if we go if we talk about where the stigma like why it's so stinky when you have words such as abnormal or DSM or you know the the diagnosis and all of that and mind you I get that there are people that are that are really in need of, um, of serious treatment for some serious, serious, um, illnesses.
0: Yes. It's so hard to parse. I mean, I don't want to minimize anyone's suffering. Some people actually like the word illness, um, because it, brings a magnitude of sorts and then we can get into like a whole philosophical question about why do we need the word illness to bring magnitude right and that's a societal issue it's like why only when there's something like that sounds doomsday and that's akin to a medical model do we heed it right but a lot of my clients like that word not insofar as they identify or helps them feel like a victim right because if there's any of that of course we, we talk about that that's part of the work mostly because and this is an i'm totally going on another tangent but most often my clients aren't taken seriously unless what they have is a mental illness mm-hmm. and that's a problem in it of itself yeah. i personally like to use the word mental health because i want to help shift the zeitgeist i want to help you know, change the languaging around, um,
1: around all this. I, and I'm applauding you as a professional in the space doing that, because that's the credibility that you have being a doctor in this space and treating people. I think you're using, you're using your superpower for good there.
0: Wow. That is very humbling. And I just got the chills and that moments like this, where you say that just makes me realize that I'm doing what I need to do. And I feel so grateful about that. Um, I I think it's important. And I think it's, it's, it's challenging, right? Because I want to walk that line where I'm validating people, letting them know that in no way am I minimizing what they're going through. It's very real, very painful um phenomenon and also right we can talk about it in such a way um that will ultimately i think take the stigma away and ultimately be most helpful for all of us
1: agree at scale and and that's what you're doing and at scale and then hopefully in perpetuity exactly we'll, we'll, we'll get there we'll get there at some point I'm a, I'm an optimist
0: uh, <laughs> I love it I mean, you can't be the chief heart officer and not be some
1: kind of optimist <laughs> right I'm, I'm a realist but I'm an optimist when yeah. it comes to what we can do as humans when we work together for change and this is part of that you're doing your part
0: and, yeah, and, and then that some and then
1: some yeah well just the fact that you put parentheses around the word ab makes uh, in abnormal makes me so happy and and just <laughs> like you that much more <laughs>
0: <laughs> actually what we did in that class if you don't mind I'll just Please. I actually I actually and we can I I'm not kidding about this we can I'm still in touch with my students I've written them letters of recommendation some of them are now like colleagues, which is just extraordinary. But the first class, what I did was, and it was, I know it's very, maybe it was controversial, but I really needed to find this impactful way to help people understand the, what's this, the, what am I thinking? I don't know, I can't think of the word, but like the magnitude of why this is so important. And what I did was I wrote all I wrote labels on index cards. I, I wrote all kinds of right what I would call it slurs, right? But people back then literally used to describe people who had mental health. So even the word idiot, um, and the word that as a neuropsychologist I've heard thousands of times and makes me cringe, retarded, oh, and awful, and schizophrenic right? And all, all of those slurs. And I had them, I had my students, uh, take, pick one out of a bag and wear it. Mm. And for the first 10 minutes, okay, maybe five
1: minutes. (laughs) Wow.
0: That's heavy right there. I know it's heavy. For the first five minutes, we went through class with them having those labels. And whenever they raised their hand, I called them by their label. Mm. Wow. And It was so profound for them that, and so it shook all of us in such a way that I think I made the right judgment call. I think the exercise was life-changing and game-changing because I don't think until you're really put in that position, you really know what it's like.
1: Yes. And that is, like I said, that is very heavy and intense and like, how can that not, impact someone I'm I'm imagining it right now like right the second and I wasn't even in that class it reminds me of some of the de and I work that we've done over the years, whether or not I've been in at a conference or whether or not I've been in the audience or I've been doing it, which is trying to get into the quote unquote shoes of another mm. whereas you know my skin color is my skin color and so I can't change that but I can we can put a sign on and be treated the way, for example, people of color in America have been treated. And mm. um, there's the, this one uh, conference I went to where someone was uh, the, the keynote. She spoke and she said, if any of you have had to take, if any of you took the bus here, stand up. Mm. A handful of people stood up, probably in about 400, a room of 400. Uh, if any of you... Uh, your parents use welfare stamps, stand up kind of some of the same people stood up, you know, if any of you share a bed with a sibling stand up. And it was just, Oh my gosh. Uh, I don't even know the word flabbergasting. I mean, it was, it was really like, Holy shit. This is life. This is it. Um, and the, the the point was to obviously engage our, our empathy and our sight of course it was really it was impactful and profound just as your class was I mean I'm sure people still remember that to this day
0: they do and we talk about it and of course I want to say right like I didn't just throw them into it.
1: <laughs> no, no, no.
0: We, talked, we talked about it. I have to say a disclaimer. We talked about it. Whoever didn't feel safe participating didn't. That's right. Um, but yeah. That's right.
1: Very impactful. Yeah. Wow. So I. Um, why do we use the DSM books? Is that because you need, it's an encyclopedia of classification for- a treatment plan and or insurance like what i actually don't know
0: yeah you know it is helpful right it is helpful to understand exactly you know what we're dealing with right so i i do think it could help in terms of how can we be most precise in our diagnosis to me i'm really I really only use it for insurance codes, I have to say. Um, of course, it gives me some kind of sense, right? Like, is this, um, you know, it helps, is this, you know, and I'll just be very frank, like, is this more of a schizoaffective picture or is this bipolar? And that can be helpful insofar as that the psychiatrist that they'll go to will give the most precise treatment, mm-hmm. right? So. If there's pharmacological need, I think we need to have as most as a precise diagnosis as possible uh, so that any medication that's created that's you know more specific for a certain diagnosis over another can be utilized. For me as a psychologist, precision is very important. And also, though, if you're suffering, you're suffering. So a lot of people that I see have reactions to trauma, right? Obviously that are very natural responses to unfathomable heinous experiences. And some of their clinicians will get caught up in whether or not it's actually post-traumatic stress disorder. And to me, that doesn't really matter. If you have a trauma response, if you're feeling dysregulated, if you're suffering in response to your trauma and you don't quite meet criteria, I don't know if that matters to me. Let's, let's help heal.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Let's let's fix the well.
0: Exactly. Yeah. So I think it's there. um, And of course it's to, you know, I guess in some ways make the field um, like systemized and that is important, right? It's like a language, like any other, right? So if I said to another clinician, here's a client, um, she's, um, has major depressive disorder and partial remission, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like they would know what that is. And right. it's sort of like a language.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. It's a, I think a language is really helpful to share.
0: Yeah. I think it's a shared languaging. And also, again, it's important in terms of, I think if there's pharmacological treatment, Yeah, um, you know, just out pharmacological treatment, right? Of course, I want to know, I want to be very specific and understand um, if you have mood struggles, you know, wh- what are the nuances here? Mm-hmm. And so I say, I like to think of the DSM is a guide, but not by any means gospel. Right,
1: right, right. I love that. I love the way that you just broke that down. And I think about the shorthand that so many of us use in our jobs, in our, in our families in yes. our cultures and microcultures and whether or not those are it's shorthand that you are adopted into or you adopt or you're boarded to that's a whole nother topic for another that's a whole nother topic I, I, but I, I like that topic a lot but I've got a really far out question that just came to me as I was I was listening to you and I can tell how much you care about your work it's it like shines through and in the integrity mm. that you have Do you, this is a very general question, so, and maybe we can form it as I'm speaking it. Yeah. The act of seeking therapy, the act of seeking support, help, do you see that? And do you see those in therapy as an act of bravery?
0: I think that's a glorious question. And I do. I think it's not only brave, it's fierce, it's badass, and it's the ultimate in self-care.
1: Thank you. I agree a thousand percent. Um, To know that, gee, there's something going on that I may not have the tools for, or I may not know how to decipher, I also think is an enormous Mm. act of bravery. Now I have, a, I have a side question to that. The, but, <laughs> but I did want to add, oh, please, okay, please.
0: Everything that we've been talking about, I think, led up to that question because the reason that we work so hard to destigmatize um, you know, what it means to be abnormal and what mental health versus illness is, is because so many people are still afraid to actually seek treatment.
1: Wow. Well, and let's go further, which is in your field, of course, which is how many people then choose to not seek treatment because mm-hmm. of the stigma and then choose to do something that's very detrimental and tragic. And that's like, that's the thing we need to prevent. Holy, holy cow. And for so many of us who have, you know, lost people, myself included to yeah, suicide is a, uh, That's when you just say it does not, did not have to go down that way. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I have also, so thank you for, I'm thinking, I just, now that you said that, I just want to remember my cousin who died by suicide um, a few years ago at 21. And so much of it was about that stigma and about reaching out for help, how he felt so wrong in that.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, I want to honor that and acknowledge my cousin who took his life at 35 um, and Mm -hmm. just, just couldn't reach out. Mm -hmm. Just, yeah, just, you know, I've made, I've made peace. I had to make peace with that and that he was meant for another place, uh, another time in another place because he was such a, he was was obviously the life of the party and Mm -hmm. the best thing ever. And I would do mm. anything to have another hour with him. Uh, so anyway, we have that in common. And a yes,
0: I'm so sorry for your loss. Yeah. And, and like this him, is, yeah. I guess,
1: why we're both so passionate
0: also about what we do. Yes.
1: The fact that anyone would feel in a workplace for sure, but anywhere, anywhere. I just happen to, my platform is a workplace right. uh, as an office, uh, that anyone would feel othered. And I know I can't help that necessarily mm-hmm. because that's a deeper issue, but that people come into work and feel like they don't belong or they're not safe to be themselves is, you know, I'll, that, that'll be my job until my last breath, which is to create that safety and, and remove fear in every instance of it. And fear comes in so many different shapes and sizes. But you're absolutely right, Doctor John. That's that's it. That's really it. And it's a wild, wild place, isn't it? Wild, this wild, wild place.
0: And thank you for all that you do. Thank you, and,
1: and vice versa, for sure. I think um, as we draw towards well, the last couple thoughts, I have. Um, do, you, do you find do you find that you work with people that need to change the story that they're telling themselves, the self-talk. And is that and if so, is that really something we all need to like we're all working through?
0: Again, what a great question. I mean, resoundingly, yes. <laughs> I think we try to tell stories to make sense of ourselves and our sense sense and make sense of ourselves in our worlds. And oftentimes we tell a story that maybe once helped us survive but that no longer serves us and just holds us back and and I think that's one of the number one things that I see it's what story are you telling and how is that holding you back and how is that not serving you and how is that even um, contributing to anxiety and mood struggles and I believe in the power of rewriting one's story and it doesn't happen overnight. There's no wand for it, right? Sometimes we have to delve deep into why that other story was told and written and it is possible though. I think Mm -hmm. if I wanna convey one thing is that it is possible. And not only do I know that professionally, I know that personally, because again, I think this is a universal, like you said, I don't even know the word conundrum, or I think we all tell a story and that can shape shift and needs to shape shift as we evolve. And as we grow,
1: you said something that, that I really hope. And actually I'm going to pull it out because it was so important. We tell ourselves a story that once helped us. Mm. We once, as you said, we need to make meaning of things. And so whether it was maybe you use that phrase to protect yourself, or maybe you use that phrase to not have the spotlight shine on you or whatever Mm -hmm. it was. And then 10, 20, 30 years later, you've outgrown that phase. Mm -hmm. You have just outgrew that for the most part. And I I love that. And thank you for sharing that. You too look at your own stories too, because (laughs) you are a human being and we're, all very similar. Yeah, we're all 100%. very
0: similar. I mean, if there's one thing I want to convey, it's that I am radically human, and even your therapist needs a therapist. <laughs> and that's my way of also destigmatizing, like, you know, I mean, we've spoken so much about destigmatizing mental health struggles. And my way of doing that is using my platform, whatever that may be. Um, to remind people that you don't need to take care of me. I've got me, I've got my resources. I do want you to know, though, that I'm human, that I've struggled too, that I know what it's like, and I also seek out help.
1: And I think we'll end right there. <laughs> Thank you, Dr. Jam.
0: Really Thank appreciate you it.
1: for having me. Hey, everybody. If you want to start a podcast or you have a podcast that you want to get up and running, please, please reach out to my team at onairbrands.com. That's onairbrands.com. They're the best.